0: Welcome to episode 207 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Tuesday, 15th of January, 2019.
1: The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to JensenUSA.com slash The Spokesman. Hey, everybody. It's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. For show notes, links, and all sorts of other information, please visit our website at wwwthe And now, here are the spokesmen. Hi there, I'm Colton Reed, transportation contributor at forbes.com.
0: Today's show is about a cycling author moving to the Netherlands. no, not me. I'm talking to Chris Bruntlett of Vancouver, author of Building the Cycling City: The Dutch Blueprint for Urban Vitality. It's an excellent book I do recommend it even though it is. Uh, I'll impress it's the same publisher as I'm uh, published with anyway. Uh, So he, uh, Chris, wrote that uh, book with his wife, Melissa. And soon they are upping sticks along with their two kids and heading to Delft, where Chris starts work as international comms manager for the Dutch Cycling Embassy. And also on today's show is his future boss, Miriam Boersboom, director of the Dutch Cycling Embassy. And for the second show of 2019 and i'm still checking that it's 2019 because doesn't time fly when you're having fun i am joined uh from the netherlands i i'm very pleased to say uh by miriam and from canada uh from chris Uh, but today's show is going to be about how at some point in the near future i could actually do that show only by speaking to the Netherlands. So let's first of all go across to Chris Bruntlett. And Chris, whereabouts are you uh, right now? I'm assuming you're in the the home in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah.
2: We are situated on the west coast of Canada in Vancouver, British Columbia. And uh, in the throes of packing up our lives, we've got uh, 28 more days until we move our family to the Netherlands. So we're in quite the thick of things.
0: So Miriam, I'm going to throw that straight back to you. And and it's the question we kind of, we, we said before we came on air actually, is why on earth have you got a crazy Canadian guy coming to the Netherlands? <laughs>
3: That's a good question, but why shouldn't we? Um, if you know this guy, you know uh, what he's doing and he's working um, together with his whole family, I, I have to say, um, doing great work on on promoting cycling, supporting cycling, and really understanding where where it's all about. Um, within the cycling world. And as maybe a lot of people know, the Netherlands is known uh, for their cycling uh, culture um, and they have a lot of expertise. Um, But we were thinking and, I don't know, figuring out that like somebody from abroad having a fresh perspective on our situation can sort of help us promote
0: that situation as well. So yeah, that's it. So Miriam, let's let's go slightly backwards in that uh, I better say where you're from. So you're from the Dutch... Cycling Embassy, which 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 isn't it? It's it's sort of semi-government. It's kind of it's isn't it? It's called a private-public network. So it's it's partially funded by the government. Yes.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's completely true. It's like an NGO, um, and we are a public-private partnership. So we collaborate with a lot of our different organizations, like knowledge institutes, universities, but also uh, ministry, uh, provinces, and municipalities. Uh, and, of course, companies, uh, industry companies or uh, consultancies, uh, advisory, um, yeah, actually selling bikes, but also selling a lot of knowledge. Um, and we combine all of this knowledge together and, and sort of strengthen our forces together um, to promote that cycling and to especially sort of help the rest of the world getting up to speed um, regarding cycling in
0: their cities. Yeah. So, you're, you're selling cycling around the world, in effect, the, the, the Dutch model. Yeah, well, at least we're trying to share knowledge uh, on that. So, like, we're working
3: with a lot of municipalities mainly, um, but we do have some experts in, in, in place and, like, let's say, sort of behind us, uh, which can help us out with the actual, uh, for example, uh, streetscaping or uh, decision making processes or helping cities with their, uh, their policy making on cycling. Uh, but we try to share knowledge as much as we can. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that,
0: that, that's wonderful for us, and I'm I'm incredibly happy that you you do this. But <laughs> what benefit does do the do, does the Dutch government get from this? Why was the Dutch government? Why would any of the Dutch NGO partners there? What benefits do they get from helping other parts of the world become more cycle friendly?
3: I think it's two-sided, because we have a a lot of knowledge uh, within our country, but we can also still learn a lot from other parts of the world. For example, in in Japan, they're working on underground uh, automatic parking systems, for example, like super advanced uh, parking facilities, which we can learn from. Uh, We have a big parking problem within the Netherlands, so we can learn from other countries as well. And secondly, I think we have a a sort of a role... um, to help other countries. We are sort of seen as a cycling nation and our, our our own government is also very happy with the position we have right now. And I think we should also sort of support this knowledge um, to other countries um, and share that mainly, uh, primarily, but also as a second reason, we always try to incorporate consultancies and also cycling experts, um, like re- re- real people who can actually help and make a change uh, abroad because we connect them and then it's up to the companies, of course. Um, but the main thing is, I think, sharing knowledge because that's just what we need to do. And you see a worldwide like a change a movement going on. Um, so it's not...
0: Yeah, we're like super busy regarding all the developments worldwide. Yeah. G- give us some history about the Dutch Cycling Embassy when it came about and, and how you got involved with it.
3: Um, yeah, it's a good question, actually. Um, I think we started... Well, like around seven years ago, with the name Dutch Cycling Embassy, but before we also did a lot of other projects, mainly in Africa. So it's like sh- thinking of uh, shipping uh, containers full of bicycles to Africa, uh, real development programs. And then from uh, like seven years ago, uh, it started to more on policy making, on, on uh, street design, on, on res- reshaping cities, let's say. Uh, involving people and municipalities. So it's also on the behavior change uh, side. So it's not primarily infrastructure, but it's also behavior side. Um, So that's, yeah, we sort of slowly grow towards an organization uh, based on knowledge um, and also supporting and providing uh, as much as we we can to, to the rest of the world. Um, coincidentally, me, I um, run into the Dutch cycling embassy actually in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> it's not the most, most uh oh, it's like quite far away from here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I run into them, and I was just working on on in mobility and uh, working on. I I'm a civil engineer, so I I learned from like a lot of car infrastructure, car designing, everything about around cars. And then I thought, huh, oh, what about cycling? Why isn't there any? You know, inf- information or sharing or, I don't know, like a platform to share knowledge. And then I run into the data I thought, this is it. This is what I want to do and what I would like to uh, put my energy in. And, uh, uh, yeah, the rest uh, is history.
0: Uh, and <laughs> When, when, was, when that, was that,
3: Miriam? Miriam? Uh, I think around almost four years ago, three and a half years ago now I got involved as a project manager and uh, slowly turned into the director. So uh, yeah, I'm proud uh, director now of the Dutch Cycling MC. We're a small team, but as I mentioned, we have many, many organizations behind us, like around almost 60 organizations now, Dutch organizations. Um, so yeah, it's a big group of, of cycling experts. Yeah.
0: So describe that team, describe the, the milieu that Chris is going to be coming into.
3: well i hope it's some sort of a warm bath for him at least we try to (laughs) make it as warm as possible Um, and i think as mentioned we are with seven now um, and we're working very hard on a new uh, international marketing communication strategy which is completely his field so um, we, we try to sort of make already the first steps uh, but yeah you know, let's say the rest is up to him <laughs> which I think is uh, he's very uh, knowledgeable and, and way more skilled in marketing communications than we are uh, so we hope to learn also a lot from him um, and the rest of the team is very uh, it's a young team it's uh, very I think very energized and uh, positive uh, we we really uh, literally discuss and talk with the whole world uh, within a day let's say in the morning with japan and the the afternoon with america and um it, it's very uh, it's a lot of priority of, 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 of tasks we have a lot of meetings with our cycling experts thinking of new destinations or we receive so many questions we like to answer um so yeah not one day is the same um and we are based in a very nice office in delft uh in the Netherlands, which is a very nice student city as well, so I really, I'm also living there myself, and uh, it's a very, very nice little kennels, uh, and they call it sort of little Amsterdam. Um, so yeah, I think it's a good place to be. <laughs> I'm very looking forward to his uh, to his visit to his come.
0: Well, his Chris, let, let's let's get across to you. So, <laughs> Miriam has described there what well, I know for a fact that an awful lot of listeners to this show. And readers to eventually to the to the Forbes piece will be going, oh, with their chins on the floor going, I would want, that's my dream job. So Chris, this is the point where you say, it's my dream job.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that phrase was used in, in my email exchange with Miriam uh, on, on multiple occasions. And uh, to be honest, it's uh, you know not something that I was ever trained in or educated in, or it was initially my background. I mean, Menacity was a a partnership that my partner Melissa and I formed that grew out of the passion projects that we were doing on our evenings and weekends because we saw here in Vancouver and then more so in in cities um, across North America that everyone's building their cities for cycling. Everyone is trying to make their cities more equitable, more accessible. Uh, more open to people on bikes, but they don't necessarily have the communication tools that they need to make that happen. They're so focused on the infrastructure and policy that actually communicating those benefits, whether it's through uh, words, photography or video, they were really letting themselves down. And so um, we saw a gap there and and started to address it. And, uh, you know, it just snowballed over the years to the point where we wrote the book about the Netherlands. We spent, uh, you know, a couple of years... Uh, bouncing back and forth between Vancouver and the Netherlands, and uh, and uh, making that connection with Miriam, which ultimately led to the uh, the establishment of this uh, this new position.
0: So we've had you on the show before, and that was a um, a little bit of um, audio tennis between you and Melissa, um, and obviously you were in the same uh, room rather than different continents. Um, uh, but just go backwards and talk about how. Uh, you got the job because it was we talked on the last show when you were on uh, when you're at Velo City in, in Nijmegen so was it starting then or was it very, very much after that how was how did this come about?
2: Yeah yeah I think we we first Melissa and I first met Miriam at uh, the Velo City conference in Nijmegen uh, I believe it was at the, uh, the cargo bike festival anyway so we mm-hmm. had a beer and we chatted and connected and we Um, exchange cards because we definitely wanted to interview Miriam for the book and she features heavily in one of the chapters about um, sustainable safety in the crow manual and uh, exporting that knowledge overseas and so uh, we just kind of stayed in touch from that uh, that point and uh, uh, we knew at that time that we were kind of leveraging for a move overseas uh, if uh, if the conditions were were there and uh, Luckily, uh, Miriam was willing to uh, to take a punt on one of us, so uh, we couldn't be more more happy or more excited about this opportunity.
0: There is there is a slight fly in the ointment here in that you are moving from what is generally considered to be the world's most wonderful place to live. So you're going from Vancouver, which, I, I, if you look at uh, various scores, gets incredible scores on livability. And and I've been there. I've been there with uh, with you and Melissa and. There's a growing bicycle culture there too. So you are leaving a pretty amazing place. Let's 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 face it. Hundred percent,
2: yeah. And I think um, added to that is the fact that we have some pretty stable rental housing right now, uh, which we got in at a time before the market kind of exploded. So um, we know now that by leaving Vancouver, we're really never going to be able to return and and to be able to afford it, but. Um, I think we, we've reached a point in our lives where we're tired of having the same arguments and fights and, um, and, uh, I mean, Vancouver still has a hang up uh, on the helmet situation. We still have a lot of streets, um, that are just begging for cycle tracks and, and we could see ourselves spending the rest of our lives, um, having those arguments and fights and, uh. We we think it's maybe time for the next phase in our life, where we go to a place where those those fights and those arguments have already been fought and won, um, and we can hopefully communicate those uh, lessons from those um, those battles and and uh, help other cities reach that point and and um, and live and work and uh, share stories of, of this wonderful place that is the Netherlands.
0: And tell me what Melissa's doing, because I believe she's landed a job as well.
2: Yes, that's, uh, not officially, uh, to be revealed at this point, but, uh, there's another organization in Delft where Melissa's, uh, um, agreed to work communications for them, uh, on a part-time basis. Um, she'll be revealing, I think in a couple of weeks, um, the details of that position. So, um, Delft seems to be quite the little mobility hub there. There's a number of organizations that are, they're working internationally on, on cycling and, uh, we're, we're pretty excited to uh to uh, land our family there
0: and, and and your family includes two kids that's so right. how old are your kids
2: they are 10 and 12 yeah
0: and what do they think <laughs>
2: um for the most part they're on board I think they're ready for a change uh the uh there's some friendships that will be left behind I think that's the hardest part for them but Um, You know, they really, when we visited the Netherlands two years ago, they had a really hard time coming home. They were Mm -hmm. quite upset when it was time to leave because they were given this amazing freedom to walk and cycle freely around cities that they didn't enjoy back here in Vancouver. And so um, I think they're excited for a change. They're excited to make new friends and they're excited to uh, be given this whole new city to explore, uh, this whole new country, this whole new continent to explore, uh, and, and new freedoms and new adventures. So, um, learning the language is going to be a challenge, and I, I think they uh, for them or you been, for,
0: for them, it'll be easy. For,
2: <laughs> for all of us, uh, they're going straight into the Dutch public school system the oh. week after we arrive. um and uh, and then Melissa and I will follow suit. But we have no doubt that within a few months they'll be teaching us the the language
0: absolutely. So right now, I'm going to
1: uh, cut to a, a commercial break, so we'll we'll just hand across to David. Hey, Carlton, thanks so much. And hi, everybody. It's David. And I am here, well, you know why I'm here. I'm here to talk about our longtime loyal and fantastic sponsor, Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Remember, that's jensonus usacom Now, what's Jensen USA? Well, if you don't know by now, you should. Jensenusa.com is the place where you're going to find all of the things that you need for your complete Cycling lifestyle. Complete bikes, mountain bikes, road bikes, gravel grinders, everything in between components, apparel, accessory, tools, shoes, really gifts, everything you can imagine that you would need for your cycling lifestyle. And we're not talking about off branded stuff. We are talking about name brands that you know, love, and need for your cycling lifestyle. You're going to find those name brands at incredible. Low prices, and that's all going to be coupled with unparalleled customer service. If you haven't been to Jensen USA before, I urge you to do it right now and every time you need something for cycling because they're going to have it at great prices, and you're going to be very, very satisfied with their customer service. Go ahead and check them out. That's at Jensenusa.com/slash the spokesman. Our thanks to Jensen USA. For supporting the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast, and our thanks to you for supporting our sponsor, Jensen USA. All right, Carlton, back to you. Thanks,
0: David. And we are back with Miriam and with Chris. And before that we break, we were talking about the dream job and Chris's kids uh, fitting into an absolutely amazing new lifestyle in Delft, in the Netherlands. And we're talking about how it's a, a, a dream job for Chris and for Melissa. It sounds like she's got a great job as well. Uh, but it's also going to be something that I know lots of listeners would would not give their right legs for because then they wouldn't be able to do what you're doing, which is which is pedalling everywhere. So, have you got the bicycle part of your new? Um, job lined up. Do you get a bike with the the, the, the the Dutch Cycling Embassy, Miriam? Is that something that every employee gets a bike or are you expected to have a bike anyway?
3: Uh, no, it's true, actually. Um, we have actually uh, sort of two offers. We have a normal one or a normal one. It's like a, um, a one you can go everywhere, but it's like a swap bike. It's a special bike which is, if it's sort of a lease contract, so we provide it for our employees, and whenever if something is broken, you can just call them, so not me, but just them. <laughs> it's an organization, a company, um, a very young startup, and they swap your bike whenever it's broken within 24 hours. Um, and it, it's one of our partners, so uh, we have, of course, a very good deal uh, with them. But it, I think it's an amazing system because a lot of a lot of students in every Uh, Student city now, there are swap bikes, Uh, even in Belgium, Germany, I think they are reaching 15 countries in Europe already with this uh, concept. Um, So it's sort of your bike. It's owned by them, but it's still yours. And whenever something is broken, even if your bell is broken, you can call them. Um, So we provide a swap bike uh, for our employees and we even have also electric bikes uh, now. Um, They're very uh, popular nowadays coming up, especially for the commute. So a lot of, uh, employees of us work in the Hague or Rotterdam, which is around, I'd like, say 12, around 12 kilometers, uh, cycling, which is just a little bit too much for a normal bike. So like an e-bike is perfectly suited for the commuting, uh, bike. So yeah, it's a choice. Uh, I'm not sure <laughs> I haven't
0: discussed with Chris yet, but it's, uh, it's open for the opportunities. So, uh, yeah. So instead of a company car, a company bike, You you wouldn't expect anything different, would you Chris? Really?
2: No, and I think we've we've kind of set our priorities from when we land in Delft, and it's kind of beds and then bicycles <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> somewhere to sleep and then a way to get I'm around. I'm Disappointed and, uh, that it wasn't bicycles because, first there,
0: but anyway. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, if you if you ask my daughter, oh, wifi of course, would be yeah, this is very true. Too, but I've uh... just, just swapped across networks in the house here. In fact, we haven't got Netflix at the moment because I'm waiting for another uh, uh, Wi-Fi extension. I know all about that problem you are having there, Chris. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about your book, Chris, yours and Melissa's book. So it was, it was uh, done for Ireland press. Um, it does seem to, I mean, it was middle of last year. Was it when it came out, Chris?
2: August, uh, end of August, it was released. Of so it is
0: still getting traction on social media. Lots of people are talking about it. you. You had a, tell us about your, cause you had a speaker tour in effect where you went to as far afield as Australia to talk about in effect, what you're, you're going to be you're doing as a, as a job now, in effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, uh, after the book was released, I think we, we ended up speaking in 20 f- something different cities, 25 different cities across Canada, the United States, uh, Australia, and New Zealand uh, at the in the latter quarter of 2018, which was really an amazing experience because our book, uh, again, is about providing cities, elected officials, advocates, um with the tools the information the stories and the inspiration that they need to implement these changes in their cities and so um, it was a matter of getting in front of people sharing the story of the netherlands but also um, as we do in the book sharing stories of north american cities that are um, implementing similar ideas concepts and uh, and learning from the dutch so it's about sharing vancouver's story it's about sharing Seattle's story it's about sharing boston or new york or or, or any a number of other cities that are um maybe a, you know a, a couple of generations or a couple of decades behind the dutch but are still um on their own journeys towards becoming cycling cities so it was really uh it was really something else and to, to make it to melbourne to sydney to auckland to uh new york uh it was uh it was a pretty amazing experience all on the back of uh, of writing this book and, and sharing these stories with the world
0: so in effect it's going to be a pretty amazing experience in that you are taken um, the book that, that, uh, you and Melissa wrote and you're sort of making it flesh in that you're, you're, that was a kind of a template in talking about how to Dutchify, how to go Dutch, um, with the, 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 the Dutch kind of like cycling template. And you're now going to be attempting to very much, uh, make that for real.
2: I think so. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the hope and the dream. Um, and, and also putting the Netherlands on, on the map, because I think, Perhaps uh, amongst uh, certain circles, the Netherlands is known as a cycling nation, but I think to the, the casual outsider, uh, Copenhagen still gets a lot of um, the, the attention and the plaudits and uh, the Netherlands kind of sits under the radar a little bit. And um, I think that's there's two reasons there. They're not a, a culture to celebrate themselves. Um, and and maybe because they've had the cycling culture for so long, they kind of take it for granted. And so that's why I think uh, it it maybe takes uh, a couple of foreigners, a couple of Canadians to come along and and shine a light on it and and help them understand how special um, of an achievement they've they've made and, uh, and to help them share it with the world.
0: Miriam, would you agree with that, that Dutch people don't recognize what an amazing infrastructure what an amazing cycling country they've got because it's just so normal to them
3: apparently apparently (laughs) i think we (laughs) we need others (laughs) like chris and melissa um um, to show us on what we have and i'm always of course i'm i'm traveling in my current job quite a lot um which is an, an honor and a privilege to do and whenever you're like there's so many beautiful places in the world But regarding cycling, uh, there's so much to do still. And um, I I think a lot of Dutch people, well, I think we are a nation who's traveling quite a lot. But everywhere we go, we first do, like whenever you go to a city trip to Barcelona or you go to, I don't know, with a train to Belgium, the first thing you do as a Dutch people is taking a bike. That's just what we do. And it's just a way to explore and you can, you know, you can feel the city, you can smell the city. Uh, and we are so um yeah i think chris is is explaining it very in a very um nice way that we are it's just so normal to do and we are so maybe also regarding our demands are quite high whenever there's a very nice cycling lane we always say ah it's too narrow it you know it should be bigger it should be broader and um, maybe that's also a little bit of our culture and indeed we should be more proud I think we should be celebrating more that we have this amazing cycling infrastructure, super connected there's a whole network on different you know, strategic network but also operational, like different network networks uh, recreational routes um, super cycling routes That's um, it's all connected and that's, I think it's amazing but you recognize it whenever you go abroad you say, oh, it's okay, suddenly I'm sort of left uh, in, in on my own uh, regarding the junctions and everything. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, we need someone else to show us and, and explain us on, on what we have.
0: Um, so, yeah, that's right. So we are constantly, of course, jealous of, of what you've just described there um, <laughs> and, and we'd very much like you to work your goodness. Certainly, I'm talking about the, the UK here. And, and to help the UK go Dutch, but it just doesn't appear to be going at that faster speed. And even Vancouver, as Chris was saying, you know, it's fantastic in North American terms in its cycling infrastructure, but it's even too slow for for him and his family. So how are we going to accelerate that Go Dutchiness in countries that don't have that hundred years? of being a bicycle-friendly nation.
3: Well, yeah, I think we shouldn't forget that we also, like within the Netherlands, we it, it took us like at least five, de- five decades, so like over 50 years. I think we started in the, in the 60s or 50s even, 60s, and then towards the 70s, there was an oil crisis, dollar crisis, which sort of got the cycling on a higher level, on a higher agenda. And really, the people stood up and say, "Okay, enough is enough. We want cycling, safe cycling infrastructure." Um, and it, therefore, like from the '70s on, like we're now almost 2020, so almost 50 years ago, uh, people stood up, and now we're here. So it's taking some decades. I'm not saying it should take five decades. I think it could be much, much quicker. And that's why we also like to share this knowledge because a lot of cities can sort of, you know, skip our mistakes we made. Uh, there's always you know that they call I think the, the child diseases. so we we did things wrong mm. in the beginning, and we're still doing things wrong. So we should you know learn from each other. and I think also, for example, Copenhagen is also doing very nice uh, things regarding data. Um, but regarding infrastructure, I think just the Netherlands is just what we did, and we build up on further and further. yeah, that's a matter of decades.
0: Um, can, can I make can I make a plea here, both to you and <laughs> yeah. to Chris? In that, uh, because this is a very much, it's a trope that's grown up in the last 10 to 15 years that, you know, it's taken since the 1960s, 1970s. But the Netherlands has been the top cycling nation in the world since, you know, 1905. So yes, it's it's kind of okay to think, well, we're only, you know, from the 1970s, we've got to catch up. But in Mm. fact, we've got to catch up from 1905. So Mm -hmm. The the, 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 yeah. the cycling infrastructure in the Netherlands and in Copenhagen, actually, has been there an awfully long time. And, and that's kind of how the culture grew up. So by talking about the 1970s, it's kind of negating a good 60 years of incredible bicycling culture in the Netherlands. As you can see, I'm sure if you've read uh, Pete Jordan's book. Which talks about Netherlands uh, or Amsterdam specifically, you know, uh, before the war, before the Second World War, where there's an incredible cycling culture, with an ama- I mean, ninety-five percent of of modal share. So the nineteen seventies thing, I, I do, get, it does kind of grate on me when that's mentioned because it's it's, it's, it's we're, we're missing out sixty years of culture there.
2: I, I think that's true, Carlton. But I also think that's true of virtually everywhere else in the world. I mean, we were just in Christchurch, New Zealand, which was known as the, the Amsterdam of of, of you know the Southern mm-hmm. Hemisphere um, before the Second World War. And and um, and if you look at these archival photos of North American cities before the war, as well, you know the mass cycling was <laughs> happening, and and uh, it was this period after the Second World War where we started designing our cities around the car. Um, that uh, that things really changed, and the difference is with the Netherlands, um, they avoided those mistakes for the most part through citizen activism, through political will, um, and through a little bit of luck, luck like the oil crisis that Miriam mentioned. But um, so they didn't lose a generation or two to um, to the automobile. They they cycling carried on from generation to generation. Um, elsewhere, you know, we we our parents and our grandparents. Um, didn't cycle for for transportation, and so we're trying to recapture that culture and um, and rekindle that excitement and, and that energy. But uh, um, there's no doubt that uh, that a lot of these cities have the history. It's just making that recognition that we can no longer design our cities around the car, and that's what a, a lot of North American and Western cities are starting to wake up to.
0: Mm. And London is kind of doing that a little bit. My my hometown in Newcastle uh, kind of went down that route for about two years, spent an awful lot of money, but is now stopping and won't be spending anything else. And so we have this some fantastic, you know, Dutch style routes in the center of the city that don't connect up with anything now because the the local authority is just stopping building and has said it's, it's just going to stop building stuff. So that's the challenges we have that are different to the challenges in the Netherlands. Unless, of course, that the Netherlands have those challenges as well. Miriam, do you kind of get kicked back? When people, when local authorities put in cycle infrastructure, in compared to car infrastructure, what what exactly happens there?
3: Um, Yeah, I really think it's it's a matter of um, of local decision making, and um, I think we some years ago, let's say uh, five years ago, we we didn't had um, a national strategy, national cycling strategy, even. Um, so everyone was thinking, okay, the cycling is good and it's good enough. And we just, you know, put it through to the provinces and the municipalities. Uh, we de- decentralized, as they name it, um, the policymaking. And I think there um, you notice a little bit of, of pushback or just, I don't know, leaning back a little bit like, okay, we're, we're good enough. Let's, let's, go, let's just leave it to the other. Um, but now I think since two years, two or three years, Uh, We finally have a national cycling strategy again, which is called the Tour de Force, uh, which is a different way of policymaking because it's really about the model um, on getting everyone on the table. Um, So it's a lot about stakeholder management and it's a lot of involving different organizations, cycling union, but also the executing part of the ministry who is actually making uh, the infrastructure Um, different organizations combining their strengths uh, in the national cycling strategy. I think that's very, very important. And therefore also the cycling um, ambitions and cycling plans are more like a broad, um, uh, let's say um, a lot of people are supporting the the new plans because a lot of people were on the table thinking and, and, and designing these plans. Um, And then it's really helping on the political level, of of course, as well. We see that worldwide, depending on the political um, um, people. Um, It's the same in the Netherlands. We now have a very, very good uh, Ministry of of, uh, Secretary of State, uh, Mrs. Stientje van Veldhoven, and she's very good with with cycling and really focusing on the bike uh, within the country. So that's helping a lot. So that's why we see now, like three years ago, we had someone who was, not so into cycling and you notice that right away so um yeah political will is very very important elsewhere
0: also helps that mark rutter kind of cycles it it appears cycles to you know major eu meetings
3: yeah and just locks his bike
0: up outside and, and then you see the other leaders arriving in their their armored cars so
3: yeah, there's a very nice uh, photograph, uh, which is, uh, uh, I think it was uh, uh, the President Obama of the United States arrived here in the Netherlands some years ago by helicopter. <laughs> and then our prime minister came by bike, mm. <laughs> which is a typical thing. And he goes actually by bike every day on to his work when he lives in The Hague and works in The Hague. So, yeah, that's just what they do. And like also the, um, our king is cycling a lot and his daughter, the crown princess, uh, is also cycling to school. I think with a lot of uh, protection and bodyguard behind, but <laughs> she is cycling and not even yeah, so obviously. So, yeah, that's I think the Netherlands. And of course, the distances are helping, but that's what we say. We are a very small country, I think, uh, relatively. But the e bike coming up uh, provides so many opportunities for, for countries worldwide, uh, connecting
0: cities everywhere um, with this e bike. So, yeah, that's great. It's good development. Yeah. And Chris, do you know what you're going to be doing when you hit the ground apart from beds and bicycles? Do you know the, the, the job you're going to be doing? What what's, what's your ambitions there? What are you growing into? Yeah, well, I
2: think when I pitched this uh, this idea to Miriam, it was really about making establishing the Netherlands as a, a global thought leader around urban cycling and really putting them on the map internationally. I think, as I said, they're their success story goes a little bit undersold and undertold. And, uh, and hopefully we can with, uh, you know, the, the organizations and the resources we have behind us um, start to share that, that story with a broader and broader audience. But um, as Miriam mentioned, it will be about developing initially the, the international communication strategy and marketing strategy um, and then, and then implementing it with a the small team that they have assembled there and, and, and going up from there.
0: Chris, I I absolutely wish you uh, all the luck in the world there. And I know people will be absolutely uh, so jealous that you've got that kind of job. So not only are you moving to the Netherlands and you're riding your bike in the Netherlands, you're going to be promoting cycling around the world from the Netherlands. So that's kind of of exciting. I pinch myself every day. (laughs) So Chris, tell me how people can get in touch with you. Now, and whether that's going to change in say a month or so, and how people can get in touch with you. Sure, yeah. For the
2: uh, for the time being, it can be through Modacity uh, medacitylife.com uh, at Modacity Life on all social media channels, uh, and then effective March first, it will be uh, through
0: the Dutch Cycling Embassy. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And Miriam, how do we contact you, and found you on social media, that kind of thing.
3: Yeah, I think uh, regarding the Dutch Cycling Embassy, whenever you have any kind of request or you want information or anything, uh, you can reach us uh, the best on info at Dutchcycling.nl, which is our team is ready uh, for you with all sorts of uh, information. Uh, And when you want to uh, follow us, I think Twitter is the best. We use a lot of uh, Twitter on that sense, Dutchcycling, uh, cycling underscore embassy it is. And if people want to uh, uh, contact me personally, you can always uh, link me on uh, on LinkedIn. I think that's the best. On Miriam Boersboom. Um, so yeah, that's it.
0: Thanks there to Chris Bruntlett of Modacity and Miriam Boersboom of the Dutch Cycling Embassy. Today's show was brought to you as always by Jensen USA. You can find show notes and more at the-spokesman.com. Thanks for subscribing to the show and telling your friends about the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. Until the next episode, get out there and ride.